Hello and welcome back to the World Music Podcast. This is your host, Will Marsh. And here on episode 10, we're speaking with Chris Adams, who is the man behind Ahi. And Chris started his touring and producing career with the Lucent Dossier Experience. And Ahi, as Chris is known on stage, now lights up dance floors with his unique blend of high energy dance floor music with sonically complex, weird bass tunes that have captured the attention of millions. Known for his prolific output and friendly online personality, Ahi's engaging live sets are often 100% original material. Well, this conversation was a blast with Chris. I, I met him in my first year of college at CalArts, and the conversation really turned out being a great outline of Chris's journey from being immersed in his own creative music to then finding a path for his music in the world. And he's since become uh, very busy touring internationally. Uh, his music has reached millions of people. We, we go into just so many fun topics about his journey. This was originally recorded on December 2nd, 2020. Thank you for joining and enjoy. Well, today I'm, I'm really excited to be speaking with Chris Adams, a uh, friend of mine from back in our early college days, and uh, he's been prolifically making music since then, and it's been fun keeping up with all of his projects and creations, and he also goes by the name Ahi. And so, Chris, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Hey, well, it's so great to see you again. <laughs> well, you know... I love to begin the show by kind of asking, where did music start percolating for you and start um, sparking as, you know, something that you really knew you would uh, follow in this lifetime and, and put your energy into? Um, you know, for some people, it was a part of their household and others, it just came out of, you know, so many different types of experiences. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. Yeah. Mine is a bit of a, I had like a transcendental moment as a six-year-old Wow! and it sounds really boring, but I literally, I have this like, this is like one of the strongest memories of my entire life huh. is I remember looking at this corner in, the, in my bathroom as a six-year-old. And as I stared into this upper corner of the bathroom, I like saw what I wanted in my life and what I would become. And I just knew from then on that I wanted to do music. Wow, that's a profound moment. Yeah, the it clarity, sounds so huh? funny though. It's just like I'm in a bathroom, like staring at this like ceiling corner. Wow. <laughs> and then um, I, though, I, I didn't really start making music though until I was 11 years old. Uh -huh. And I, I really, I remember I really wanted this Lemmings paintball video game. I was in middle school at the time. And like we would, it was part of like some, I was in band then, but I hated it. Uh, I just did it because I had to do some sort of elective thing and I didn't dislike music. Uh, and, and so I played clarinet and bass clarinet and band. And they had these like raffles where they try to have us, the kids sell stuff to the adults. And then we'd get prizes in this magazine. And mm -hmm. I really wanted the shooter video game. My, my parents were like, nope, we'll get you anything else, though. 
<laughs> and I saw this video, uh, uh, what I thought was a video game, a music video game called EJ. And it was like a very simple DAW, like you had eight tracks and you could throw in pre-recorded loops. And mm. in this particular case, you could throw in like hip hop and trance and techno loops. And so I was 11 years old, just like playing with this this uh, thing, just throwing in cheesy techno and trance loops and being like, oh my God, I'm at a rave. I'm 11 years old. I have no idea what ecstasy is, but I want to do it. <laughs> I ended up not doing it until uh, in, the, in my 20s. But um, yeah, but that was the vibe. Uh, or I made like really bad rap music as an 11-year-old where I just like have a hip-hop beat and I just yell, cocaine, heroin, and just like say random drug names because I was like trying to be hard, but I was like this like white kid. And I had no idea what I was doing, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel really embarrassed about it, but that's the truth of the story. The truth. The truth comes out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then uh, I think eventually what really changed my world was when I learned I could record my own sounds into it. Like I had access to the microphone. And so I started like realizing, oh, I can't, I can record more than just my voice. I can record anything into here. And then from there, I, became obsessed with like found sounds and just like recording everything I possibly could into the microphone and like editing it in the computer. And um, I think that really started when I was like tw maybe 12 years old. Wow. So that's something you've been doing for a while. In this past week, I've been listening to a fair amount of your music and the found sound is definitely my favorite. Um, it seems to capture this kind of like essence of life around you and put in the form of, of, of music. And that, that's something I wanted to talk about was, um, you know, you've created a lot of albums based on your found sound. And when, when did you kind of harness that and turn that into, you know, a project that you were releasing and actually putting that music out into the world? Well, um, I would say I, I, I recorded like, 40 some odd albums in the four years I was at CalArts hmm. uh, like like 40 albums worth of material and like I put it all up on a website that I had made for myself but I didn't tell anyone about the website <laughs> and I was like in the music creation mode I didn't realize you had to actually tell other people I thought they just psychically knew right. where it was <laughs> I just I didn't understand that bit at all you know I was uh, out of touch with reality to be completely honest and um, maybe that helped make the music interesting and unique in that way. Mm. Um, but yeah, and then I think in 2012, my friend Wiley Cable, who you know of Dome of Doom Records, he also went to CalArts with us. Yep. He was like, Chris, you have all this awesome music. Let's release it on my record label. And so he listened to like 40 some odd <laughs> albums of it and like picked out his favorite songs. We turned it into two different albums. Uh, that we released in uh, 2012, the Ahi self-titled album and Ahi uh, Exhales album mm -hmm. on Doma Doom. And then from there, I, I at that time, though, in 2012, I'd started making more dance music, really terrible dance music. Um, and, and so I started to shift away from the pure found sound stuff just because I'd been to a couple festivals at that time and I became obsessed with... Um, just like the 
the vibe and culture of like dance music mm. and feeling bass. And so I started to really get into that. I made like a bunch of terrible electro house kinds of songs. And, um, and then from there I evolved into like making like indie dance music stuff. And then it wasn't until 2016, I went to Burning Man a couple times by then. And I really started to like gravitate to this particular stage called Camp Question Mark, which played like the heaviest like bass music stuff and dubstep and just uh, a trap music. And, and I, I became really interested in that. And I remember I was like in a dust storm in a private cafe for the owner of Cirque du Soleil. Hmm. And I was like making like bass music in Ableton on my laptop and looking out the window and there being like a complete dust out people walking in like covered in, in dust and sand and with goggles on and me just being there like, yeah, I'm just in this air condition. It was like hundred plus degrees outside <laughs> in a wide out storm. I'm just like making bass music in this air conditioned like cafe that this billionaire had, had made at, at Burning Man. Wow. Just like, it was a hilarious moment and that's i think when it started to really click for me like just because i i was listening to the stages the night before and then and then going and and uh making the music the next day i think it was really inspiring and then since 2016 i think really in the last two years i've started to like incorporate the bass music stuff with the found sound stuff and that it's sort of come into this synthesis of all these different periods of my life, really probably within the last year, uh, I've really started to hone in on my sound where like, I really, the big thing with the found sound stuff for me was it felt alive hmm. it, because it was literally only recordings of life itself. Yeah. Maybe all you, edited together. you can share like for our listeners, what, what could a found sound track of yours like what what is that comprised of how do you put that together how i put it together oh uh, yeah so i'd go out and record sounds with this tiny ederall field recorder it's not right here right now. i think it's in my backpack over there still carry it around mm -hmm. and i'd record things like like for instance i got into CalArts, like how we met each other i recorded my friend throwing a dead bird against various objects and uh, the sound of like the dead bird being thrown against, it was dead when we found it. Uh, we didn't kill it. Um, uh, we, um, he threw it against like a plaster wall, a metal beam and the concrete floor and it just made different sounds. I'd record those and then chop them up and take the little blips of, of sound and make it into a beat. And then that's how I got into college. Beautiful. <laughs> dead birds and, yeah and other sounds i would record i would record like I, I made a special contact mic so i could record my internal gut sounds uh, also um i recorded like planes flying overhead in the rain and just like the doppler effect uh of the plane flying overhead was sort of like this interesting analog drift kind of vibe where like the pitch of the plane was like bending and so i'd like layer those and turn them into like synth like pads but it was just airplanes flying overhead in the rain mm. just all the textures and pitching together just it made it sound like an instrument and you play chords like that and so i just like do all these micro edits or i'd i recorded like the sound of lifting your eyelid up on your eye it, it if you record it it makes this little 
like wet mm. sound and take that and chop it up into a beat uh I'd use that like as hi-hats sort of and so i just like find all these sounds are snake rattle i remember is in that same song uh, like i and found i was out on a hike around placerita canyon mm -hmm. which is near cal arts and we happened to come across a rattlesnake and i recorded that and man it's a terrifying sound mm -hmm. and then i'd record put that into the song and then other times i would just like have just ambient recordings of like an environment and i'd layer that into the background of a song and that's what i'm really starting to do now is reincorporating the found sounds where i will use found sounds as like the basis for wavetables which i will like import into synthesizers and turn found sounds into wavetables and uh, use that to make bass sounds uh, or in the uh, set the songs i will include like I really like to include, I like all of my new songs to be in a real space. So the song always starts and finishes in a location. So that way the, the, the vibe of the song is in a real place. Like I'm working on this one song with like the biggest artists I've ever worked with. I can't say who just yet, but I'm really excited. But the song, it's, it's got like, it starts off on like a port at sea you know and you can hear like the waves crashing and you can hear like the dinging of the bell and some seagulls in the background mm -hmm. and then there's like you know the melody over that and it's just like tucked back in the background but it creates a vibe and a real scenario for the music to exist in i sort of see it like a, as a movie in a way right yeah i really i love that you're bringing these things together um because for me the warmth of your found sound was just my favorite and you know, my the kind of music that I work with more is more acoustic instrument based. Mm -hmm. So for me, hearing the found sound just feels a little more warmer to me. And mm -hmm. then hearing that you're making this, integrating it with a part of, you know, these other more dance genres that you've um, also put out a lot of music in is, is something I'm excited, excited about and excited to hear. Yeah. Because it's really sounds like the integration of you know your musical journey and as artists we all have different times where we're inspired by different genres or directions or sounds mm -hmm. but there's a point where you know all of our sum total of experience musically kind of starts to merge together into something and that kind of sounds like that's what's happening for you right now yeah because uh, like all my earlier found sound stuff definitely has the inspiration of like Aphex Twin and IDM and like really complex soundscapes. Mm -hmm. But I found that, you know, uh, only my, I was surrounded by sort of a, uh, a, a sample uh, of the population that would be more into experimental sounds. And so I, when I went out into the larger world, I found that a lot of people couldn't digest the, uh, the more experimental sound palette uh, of like my earlier work. And, but CalArts, a lot of people were like, this is the, so weird, you know, um, yeah. which I really enjoyed that time. But yeah, it's definitely uh, a, a complex listen. You know, it's like you, you got to experience it in a way and not it's not necessarily a passive listening uh, experience. It could be. There's a few in there. But um, like they'll be listening to some like beautiful ukulele and then some like sprinklers 
will come in and do like this like syncopated rhythm with the ukulele you know it's like <laughs> sort of the vibe of my old music and then like nowadays just focusing around dance music and, and just creating music for that kind of environment but yeah bringing in the found sound element to that world i'm, I'm very excited about as well nice well i want to touch upon something that i also relate to you know cal arts is just such a unique creatively steeped world that we lived in and immersed ourselves in and what was that transition like, you know, coming out of CalArts and your music was very experimental and, you know, based on these complex soundscapes from found sound that you're putting together. And then, like you mentioned, you kind of discovered that there's just less people that can connect with that type of music. So what was that? Was that transition inspiring or, or was it, did it take a moment to kind of change direction? Soul crushing. Or? <laughs> so crushing. <laughs> uh, I had a, a very hard experience coming out of Cal Arts into the real world. I didn't really know what to do because there was no jobs offered to me. You know, um, I actually didn't even work in music for a while. I was just sort of sitting around maybe for a year, not knowing what to do. And then I think I finally got a job as a lighting designer in a geodesic dome. And that was sort of like one of my first real jobs. And uh, yeah, it was like, you know, I knew enough about MIDI to figure out DMX, which is like the protocol behind uh, doing lighting, uh, controlling lights uh, at a venue. And so I started doing that. And then I started doing visuals at shows. And then through that experience, I started um, learning. Uh, I met this person, uh, David uh, Clark, and I worked with him on this invention called the Space Harp that allowed you to play music with your uh, shadow and your movement. Hmm. And uh, I then got really deep into programming Max MSP patches and integrating Ableton for like live performances. And um, yeah, I did that for three years or so. And we'd travel to festivals and bring this, this uh, or, or we'd go to NAMM and we'd bring this invention and have people try it out and not help people demo it and I would demo it for people and yeah that was like the most technical thing I've ever done in my life because some of these Max MSP patches at Max MSP is a programming language that allows you to connect boxes that do functions with lines that connect to other boxes that do functions hmm. so some of these things would be like like bigger than this green like if you blew them up to like text paper size they'd be bigger than this screen behind me like they hmm. were like huge with all these boxes and layers within layers and um yeah that was a, a, i eventually i i stopped doing that just because the funding on that project sort of left and my interests sort of shifted uh still very cool invention um and then i got working with this group called the lucent dossier experience and from there they're sort of like this act uh, that's like, it's sort of like Cirque du Soleil in the sense that it's like a circus and they have like, you know, people doing circus-like acts, but it's Burning Man themed. It's like Cirque du Soleil with Burning Man like themes and inspirational. They're from Burning Man. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and then they, they had like world-inspired bass music. So they would have like dance music, but a lot of the mu like musicality in it is like, you know, like melodic themes from other parts of the world and so coming from cal arts where i studied 
and had many friends that studied world music. That was very interesting to me, uh, mm -hmm. mixing world music melodies uh, with dance music at the time. And so I was with them uh, and we got to play huge shows, you know, like we played in front of like 20,000 people at the Sahara stage at Coachella. Hmm. Um, and that was epic. We played in front of other crowds of tens of thousands at like Lightning in a Bottle and a couple other festivals. But I was just like sort of a, a, a piece in the, the much larger puzzle. Like there would be people that like spin fire or eat fire or spin in these giant hoops or do aerial, aerial acrobatic kinds of things. But it was like very free form and it, the person who was in charge like gave us a lot of individual liberty to create our own show rather than coming at us with here's a show that you have to perform right um but it pay it didn't pay very much but that was the trade-off it didn't pay much but we got to be creatively have creative freedom in it so i was like scraping by you know while i was in this huge group doing these big shows but then through that time i really got to spend a lot of time listening to music through huge like stadium speakers and so i got to really notice like oh like the flaws like any flaws in your music really get amplified when you're like <laughs> in front of these like stadium sized speakers you know like right. any flaw is like way more apparent and so right. that really got me into engineering and not just being a songwriter but an actual engineer and i, I became obsessed with getting a clean sound and and hmm and uh, how to translate music in the most effective way to large sound speakers. And, um, and then that, through that process of my obsession with engineering, it started to lead back and influence my, uh, my songwriting. Right. Because uh, there was definitely, there's a huge difference between uh, my songwriting choices before and after my introduction and obsession with engineering uh it, it heavily affected my songwriting choices i think in a better way at least for reproduction on large sound speaker systems right so now you're really fully occupied in the kind of engineer space and you know how do you how did you start learning this other side of music were you self-taught did you find a mentor and you know what was that taking that you you heard okay this music when it's played on these massive speakers you, you really got to have everything dialed in precisely and then you started to um, learn about this side of music production how how did you uh, begin that process well at cal arts you know they taught me about eqs and compressors but i was in a stubborn artistic space where I was like, I don't need to learn any of that stuff. <laughs> like I make all my music out of found sounds. Like I don't need to know any of these EQs or compressors. That's robot stuff. I eventually, you know, shifted out of that when I, when I heard the difference of my music on large speakers, cause like my found sound stuff doesn't sound very good on large speakers. It sounds great on like, you know, headphones right. and uh, you know, tiny speakers. But for large speakers, it just it doesn't translate at all. So I began scouring YouTube for, like, I'd Google, like, how to get a clean sound. And there was nothing at the time. Hmm. No one was answering that question in a clear, defined way uh, when I was looking this stuff in, like, maybe the 2013, 2014 is when I started getting interested in uh, 
in engine the engineering side uh, and I was just dabbling around with it and I wasted so much time like looking at all these things but I, I picked up a few bits and pieces here and there and then I learned from I got to take some classes with some artists like uh, this uh, virtual riot and getter and I really became obsessed with dubstep production because I could tell like they were there was just something in the production quality that was really intriguing to me, even though I didn't necessarily like all the aggressive sounds at the time. Um, I, I like some of them now, not always, but uh, there was something in the production quality that stood out to me that no other, um, no other genre of music was capable of pulling these techniques off. And so I got to learn from them. And, um, yeah, uh, slowly over time, I just practiced these particular techniques, which I talk about on my YouTube channel. Uh, I right. share uh, I share all of them. Yeah, and now I feel like, you know, I have a pretty good grapple on a lot of these techniques. I'm still learning all the time, though. But, um, yeah, so I'd say really within the last year, I've been able to really find a good balance between the engineering side and the artistic side. That's great to hear. Well, talking about, you know, balancing these two sides, the production engineering side and the creative side, you know, there's so many angles that artists play these days. You know, we're often, we need to manage booking and tours and, you know, schedules and our own musics. How do you stay grounded kind of playing all these different hats, right? Because... There, there was a time, like our time at CalArts, we were really allowed to focus so much on creativity. And then it sounds like now you're you're at a nice um, point where you're really sharing your music with a large part of the world, and that's that's where the core of your energy is going. But there's so many different angles to it. What kind of keeps you centered um, through all these different roles that we play? Um, I don't know. What keeps me centered... Mm. eating healthy mm. and trying to get more exercise. I go on bike rides every evening. That's been getting me through quarantine. Um, I, I've been pretty healthy, uh, eating a lot of fresh ve local veggies. In terms of balancing all the things, I mean, there's sort of a madness to it all because there's this constant like comparison between yourself and other people. Right. Um, I think that's sort of inescapable. It, it's at it, a certain point for artistry uh but i feel like the because um, like i've had to be my own booking agent uh, i was my own booking agent for a long time i was my own manager i still am and uh though i have people hitting me up actually this week but i'm i'm i, I remember i had a time in which i actually I did have a manager and i sort of realized like oh like all the things that i thought were supposed to happen in the music industry they've all changed like the music industry has completely changed from what we were taught in school, what it was into like what it is now. Mm -hmm. And so I had to completely drop all of my perceptions of the music industry from like the nineties and early two thousands to like what it is nowadays. And nowadays it's much more independently run. Uh, yeah. Just like the avenues in which discovery happens have completely changed as well. And so I've had to educate myself and study these things. And so it's like, yeah, it's wearing multiple hats, but also at the same time, it's like, I'm ever since I was six, I knew I wanted to do this. So it's like, it's either this or 
I get horribly depressed if I'm not pursuing what I love. Though I haven't been, I've been very pretty good actually lately. It's been really nice. Uh, but I think, you know, also as I've gotten older, I think I just chilled out. Because I remember when I was 28, I was all like stressed out about like, oh, I need to succeed in these things. And, and I'm, I'm going to be so old when I turn 30. I'm 33 now. And after I turned 30, I was just like, oh, it's the same thing. <laughs> I haven't changed at all. <laughs> and then so I, I just sort of realized like, oh, like I don't need to worry about these things. And so they've sort of uh, fallen by the wayside. I, I, I'm just overall, I feel like a much chiller person. Yeah, that's, I think that's something valuable for our listeners to hear is this just kind of acceptance of like, you know, this is what I do. This is what I'm going to do. And, you know, it's going to continue and letting that kind of flow. I also relate to that, you know, when I, I lived in Los Angeles for some time and it was all like, I got to get in touch with some film scoring people. And like, there's all this pressure to, um, you know, be making it quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe you can relate to this, but in my experience now as an artist, I feel like the people that are just authentic to their own artistry and vision are the ones who succeed. Yeah, very much the case. There's outliers in like the Instagram model world uh, who just like, you know, uh, there's always outliers in every world. But uh, honestly, from what I've personally observed, it's the people that put in a, a lot of hard work and just really focus on their craft, but are who are also not like, complete like they that they form a community Mm -hmm. and a circle of people or not not so much a circle more like a web of interactions because like you can't the thing with music is that it's a it's not a solo experience music is a connecting force in the world and so I had a long period of my life where I'd just make music for myself and maybe I'd show like the people who were around me. But there's definitely a moment where I realized, oh, like the point of this is to connect. Part of the point of this is to connect with others. Right. And so like forcing my, I have a hermitish uh, propensity. And so to break out of that and just force myself to reach out to people more often is, is, uh, was a big step in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely relate to that. Hmm. And I'm curious, you know, it sounds like the kind of festival culture was a big part of what led you to finding, you know, your inspiration musically and as a performer and a creator. And uh, what has it been like kind of being removed from that for this extended period of time? It's weird because this has been my most successful year yet. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. (laughs) But I haven't been able to play any shows. Yeah. Um, And it's it's weird. It's a weird feeling Um, because like all the moments I want to celebrate and, and, you know, I, I have to share, you know, me and my girlfriend, we sh- we celebrate them here together. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, otherwise it's like through text or, you know, maybe I'll give an individual call or something like that. But yeah, it's a bizarre time. Like, you know, there's no, there's no way around it, you know. And I, I had to, you know, just accept that and um, still find inspiration. Though, honestly, for me personally, I can't stop making music. 
you know i i remember i'll go two weeks without making a new song and i'll go like oh what am i doing and then like instantly the next day or something like that i'll have written something i'll be oh yeah it's still there so and for me it's just uh it's just habit i've just been doing this for so long it's like it's like eating this creativity this outlet it's like eating for me hmm. yeah. i'm i'm thinking maybe you could share um the meaning behind your name ahi and what 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 is behind that as an acronym and how you kind of came to that as a you know as a name for your music and, and artistry yeah it is an acronym uh it was actually created by our mutual friend matt ripley oh wow yeah uh we were behind i don't know if you remember uh chenard we mm -hmm. were on like that back hill yeah uh mm -hmm. overlooking the golf course and i yep. was trying to come up with a name for my found sound music and he was like a human expressing experience because like i'm literally expressing the experiences of my life through the found sounds but then once i started to get out into the world i realized there's another artist named the human experience who was in like a similar circle of people at the time and um, i was like okay that name's too similar and it's too long and so i just shortened it to ahi and it, i actually learned it means like pepper it's like a certain pepper in spanish and mm. then it's, in hebrew it means like brother or greatest mm. um i think on depending upon its its pronunciation uh, but yeah people have told me it means different things and I, I think that's pretty cool yeah spicy brother spicy brother yeah <laughs> bring that spice that's right ahi is a wonderful flavor of uh, uh it's very common in peru Mm. Ahipanka is like a sauce that's like delicious. It's like a yellow, there's yellow, orange, or green. They're fantastic. And uh, so on that note, if you could just disappear to any part of the world and do whatever you want for a month, where would that be? Uh, there's a couple places. Well, one, I just really like where I'm at. That's uh, great. We're here in Ojai. Um, mm. But places I really want to go to, I really want to hike the Shinto trails in Japan. Hmm. I have a real fascination with Shinto culture and just their relationship with the the spirit world and the deceased and ancestors. I think it's a very interesting perspective. Um, and uh, also, I really want to visit New Zealand hmm. and just go out. I have some relatives out there. Wow. Uh, my dad's sister's husband's family's from there. Hmm. And uh, I really want to just explore the wilderness out there. But I also explore a lot of the world through travel YouTube videos. Hmm. I love these YouTube channels where it's just people just go to a country and just explore around, you know, without any agenda. Hmm. And, and so I get uh, a little bit of my need to see new places through that it's not the same but you know there's some places that they go to where i wouldn't want to go and so i get to experience it anyway yeah <laughs> it's a benefit of the travel blog well you mentioned this has been one of your most successful years and 
I'm just curious, you know, what are some of these um, things you're celebrating this year musically and, and artistically? Well, today I just found out I hit a million streams on Spotify. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a first in my life. You're a millionaire. <laughs> in plays. Trans, <laughs> doesn't translate to much money on Spotify, though. <laughs> Um, does it translate to on Spotify? Like $1,000 or something like that. Wow. Yeah, that's for the whole year. That's an annual. You know, so it's, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, though, uh, there's different tiers on Spotify of like what you get paid out. So I don't even know like, that, what it is. Does that have to do with your licensing? Or is that just. Spotify? No, it has to do with like your. Uh, like basically what what deal the record label or distributor has with Spotify like the major labels get paid more for a million plays than a indie does for a million plays i see yeah um and um let's see this also this year i got to release with a bunch of ar artists that i've been wanting to for years like i did an official remix for this group uh, big gigantic um which they're they're a band I, I love. They mix like funk music with bass music, hmm. and uh, and just like good songwriting and horns and saxophones, and then uh, and, and live drums, uh, and then also I uh, got to release on like one of the biggest dubstep artists' late new labels is artist Excision, and then also. Um, I just released a new album or uh, EP on this uh, legendary uh, dubstep label called uh, Circus Records, hmm. which they were like home to some of like the very first like classic dubstep artists out of the UK, uh, namely uh, Flux Pavilion and Dr. P. And uh, I just released uh, this EP with them uh, just last month. And it, that release really felt for the first time like I'm a like artist that other people listen to who I don't know who they are. Hmm. And um, other artists started hitting me up after that. Cause it's, I don't know, it's like in the electronic music world, there's just a, uh, it, I'm sure it is a little to extent in every world. It's like, there's certain like levels that you reach, like in terms of like people's like familiarity and like uh, maybe clout, I guess is, I just don't like that word, but I guess it's, there regardless of my like of it and so this this was like a very like high clout point achievement yeah well it's it's almost like it's like this exponential mass you know like the more people that you're reaching there's kind of like this more possibilities are coming from that yeah you know yeah. it's kind of like you're just being more visible really to the world yeah. That's kind of what it is at the end of the day, you know, um, yeah. going through those years of, of visibility. Yeah, and just working with other established and well-respected, you know, artists. Like, you know, even in the world of like, like Ravi Shankar, you know, is one of the most highly respected, like, sitar players. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's like there's those types of artists for every genre, yep. you know, and and getting to work with someone with a name like that, you know, it's just, it's cool. Well, that's, that's very exciting to be, you know, reaching that place and working with these iconic and influential artists in your genre. And, uh, what, what's in store for you? What's something you're, you're extra excited about at this time, or maybe a project that is up and coming? 
Up and coming, uh, I'm working on a lot of new music, but I'd say just like that, that Circus Records EP, it just came out. So I'm still like in the cycle of promoting that. It's called uh, Future Escape. And it's all about the theme of Future Escape is sort of like going into the future to find the solutions to today's problems. Hmm. And, and for me, I wanted to create like a landscape, uh, like a movie setting in which like that discovery was occurring within. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so it's like, uh, it's almost like a movie soundscape. There's some collaborations with other artists that I enjoy. Uh, stylist, this artist Defunk, who's an amazing artist from Canada. Well, actually, Stylist from Canada too. And then this other artist, Conrank, hmm. um, who's, uh, I think he's from the UK, slash China, but he lives in France. <laughs> International artists. Nice. Yeah, I love hearing the background because I did listen to almost all of that album and now I kind of am relating some of the titles of the tracks and, and the vibe of it to what you're saying about this kind of reaching into the future to address, you know, problems of today. So it's, yeah. it's cool to hear that. And for our listeners, you can find that album on Spotify or what are other outlets for that? And yeah, uh, Spotify on my SoundCloud. Basically, if you just type in A-H-E-E-A-H-E on Google or whatever streaming service, you will find it. Awesome. So that's it's on all, it's all the things. That's your latest release. What is the best way for listeners to kind of just follow you and your work and, and stay in touch with Ahi, Chris Adams? Uh, I'd say either Twitter or Instagram is uh, the best place. I, I post like more like regular stuff in those places. I'll just post ideas I'm working on or just thoughts that I'm having. Or uh, I also post YouTube tutorials. Uh, so my YouTube, if you, you make electronic music or have an interest in making electronic music, I'd suggest going through my catalog of tutorials. Uh, those are really uh, in-depth and uh, a lot of people appreciate those. And then I also sell these things called Ableton Rack, my magic Ableton Racks. Mm, magic. Yeah. And uh, they basically, I take all of like my knowledge of sound design and engineering and I put them into these little like collections of tools. So you literally just throw this thing on and it does a bunch of stuff all at once without you and you can adjust a few things. And so it's like taking really advanced processes and just simplifying them into a throw this on there and it does the thing nice yeah um and uh i sell those on my gum road and if you look at my youtube tutorials i talk about it in pretty much every one um i should give examples and whatnot of like where how you could use them and whatnot so that and then also i have um a sample pack company that i co-run with uh wiley also of domo doom records and um, we're up on this site called Splice, which is like a sample pack site where you can download samples. It's really useful. Hmm. And then also we're starting to release on Bandcamp as well. Uh, awesome. Sample packs on Bandcamp. That's been a new, fun, uh, exciting journey for us too. Awesome. So a lot of resources here to um, connect with Ahi. And I'll include all of these links in the show notes, the YouTube channel, the Instagram, and the Twitter yeah, a lot of valuable information for people that are making music, especially on Ableton, it sounds like. Yeah. You know, so many people are in that musical creation world. I'm sure you're able to connect with a lot of people and provide a lot of value 
it seems like that means of making music is is becoming you know very much more concentrated and you know now it's like it's harder to work with musicians in person right now and it's you know, I myself have not done a lot in engineering but I've been learning how to track and record on logic and it's been really empowering for me to just have some ability to record my music and creation um so I just know that that is something that the world will continue to be excited by your you know your uh what you've learned over the years on Ableton and and putting it together in these racks that's that's very exciting and yeah well, I'm excited about it I'm also still learning all the time so Whenever I learn something new, I usually try to like talk about it in some in some way in in the tutorials too. Nice. Well, Chris, it's just been awesome speaking with you and hearing of your journey as an artist. And I I've um, enjoyed hear listening to your music throughout this week. And I think that uh, it'll be a great resource for our listeners to get to experience all of your different types of music you've put out is there anything else you'd like to uh, sh share before we send off keep making music everybody keep making music love it follow your authentic inspiration people and uh yes things will align it feels good mm. thank you chris yeah no problem thanks for having me on will Thanks again for being here at another episode. I hope that you have not grown tired of our World Music Podcast jingle. I just love that one. I, I don't think I'll ever get tired of it. On that note, I really enjoy composing original music for things like a podcast episode or film, commercials, adding a flair of sitar or my guitar playing to any musical style. You can inquire about booking my composition or recording services via my website, willmarshmusic.com. It's one of the things I really love is uh, composition and recording on other styles of music. So something that you're welcome to look into. I thank you for your support of another episode. See you on the next one.